to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. First Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to finish this book today. It's been a, a, quite a few months. It's been a couple months. Uh, no, it's been probably about four months that we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, as we are nearing its completion, you will see that Paul's heart is going to be revealed here in the character of the man. The character of the man. We begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll hear Paul's final words here in this letter to the Corinthians. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders for the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside, uh, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that he may, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they'll go with me. Uh, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, but it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timothy comes... See that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. As I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part, they supplies. For they refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla, they greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation with my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. There is that word. There is that phrase. Maranatha. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, we have before us Paul's last few words to the church of Corinth. We pray, Lord, that you'd help me, help us to make sense of this passage. 
that we might not just understand what's going on, but that we would be able to leave here with a nugget, maybe many nuggets, that would form and fashion our own lives to realize the plan and the purpose that you have allowed us this life. You've given us this life that we now live. Teach us now, O Lord, in your word. Give us an urgent heart and a fervent heart for you. We lift up this study to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul ends up his letter to the Corinthians with a note about giving. About giving. As you know, here at Calvary Chapel, we don't pass around a bucket. We have a bucket in the back, should you desire to give, uh, which I believe everyone should. Everyone should give unto the Lord. We don't talk about money unless money comes up in Scripture. Uh, I I am a a firm believer that... uh, reading through the Bible verse by verse and teaching through the Bible verse by verse, the Lord will talk about money where the Lord needs to talk about money. And, and so when we come to a place of money, it's not that it's a taboo subject. It's just that, that money is uh, uh, oftentimes a stumbling block to people, especially when visitors come and they, they, they hear, oh, wow, here's a church, another church talking about money. Well, it, it, I know that we have some visitors here today. If you, if you knew our church, uh, we never talk about money unless it comes up in Scripture. We're never going to have a thermometer over here and a thermometer over here of how much we need or how much you've given, you know, or how much we need and how much you've given. I'm not going to do that. I believe that Paul even lays out for us here a... A heart behind giving. A heart behind giving. In the first couple verses here. And again, it's not that we don't need money, obviously, for the church. But the Lord will provide. The Lord has provided for us all these years and he will continue to provide. Um, giving is, a, is something between you and the Lord. And it's, it is a, uh, an issue of whether you're walking with the Lord and you're right with the Lord or, or you're not. And, and so it's one of those things that it, this is an issue between, you know, you and the Lord. It, it, those who, who uh, you know, tip the Lord, you know, are oftentimes those who are tipped by the Lord, you know, in their life. And you wonder, what's going on? Uh, not that your giving of monetary value is is a monetary value to the Lord, but I remember it was D.L. Moody that uh, had said, listen, show me a man a checkbook and I'll show you a man's walk with the Lord. And it was one of those things that kind of shot me between the eyes and shot me between in, in the heart of recognizing that, you know, my... All of my sustenance, whether it be my time, whether it be my life, whether it be my attention, whether it be my, my uh, you know, uh, uh, affection that I give to people or, or the attention that I give to people or the time that I give to people or the money that I give to the, to the church or to other people, you know, it, it, is, it is a reflection on whether or not the Lord has a whole of my whole of my life, the whole of my life. And it's just an aspect of my walk with the Lord. The Lord doesn't need our money. The Lord uses what he, he... He owns not just the cattle, but the Word says He owns not only the cattle, but the, cat, the, the, the hill that the cattle are grazing on. He owns. He doesn't need our money. It's, it's an opportunity for us to recognize a, a surrender of 
every aspect of my life. And oftentimes money is the thing that holds us down and we focus a lot on money. Well, Paul, he, he sits here and he says, here, here's the thing. In verse 1, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the church of Galatia, so you must also do. Now this would almost sound like Paul is a little dictator. Paul's not a dictator, and he'll, he'll bear that out in the next verse, that I'm not demanding that anybody give. He's not saying, you give. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you if you don't give. For Paul will be the one that will say, hey, the Lord loves a hilarious giver. <laughs> one who, who, you know, gives money hilariously unto the Lord, freely and willingly unto the Lord. The Lord loves that. That's a great thing. Paul's not demanding. He's saying, but there is a need. He's establishing a need. There is a need here. And he's going to focus on this need here in just a second. There's a need here, just as I have shared the need with the churches there in Galatia and said, listen, you take a collection up and I'll take this gift back to those who need it. And it's going to happen to be in this aspect. It's going to be in this uh, discussion. It's going to be in Jerusalem for this purpose. It's for Jerusalem. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But Paul says, listen, just as I told them in Galatia, I'm going to say to you, all right, on the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week? The first day of the week, who, what's the first day of the week, anyone? Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. Saturday is the Sabbath day. It's the seventh day. That's the day that the Lord rested. You know, after he created everything, you know, on the seventh day, God rested. That's a Sabbath. The seventh day is a Sunday or is, is a Saturday. And, but what's interesting, as we look through scripture, when the church meets, the church meets on the day that Christ rose again from the dead, not on the Sabbath day, but on the first day of the week when he rose again from the dead. And so the church is meeting, it comes together, it doesn't uh, highlight maybe one day above another. Paul talks about that in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, where you don't have to hold one day higher than another. But the first day of the week, it just seemed proper. That was the day that the Lord rose again from the dead. And so it's kind of that, that constant reminder that when we meet on a first day of the week, we're, we're essentially remembering even the day that the Lord rose from the dead. And, and so it's the first day of the week. He says, so on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And so Paul, Paul, he, he says here, purpose in your heart what you're going to give. And I kind of like that mindset. The mindset that says, hey, let's ask for offerings when people get here and let's lay it on thick that we need this or we need that or so on and so forth. Uh, and, and we really put, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the screws to it. You know, there was a, uh, a teacher uh, about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago that said, listen, uh, if I didn't raise $8 million and I'm coming to you, if I don't raise $8 million, God's going to strike me dead. 
And, and I, I look at that as a highly manipulative form of coming to the sheep to get them to pay. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. I don't ever see anywhere in Scripture where there is a manipulative procedure given to force people to give. What Paul's saying here, he's writing a letter. He says, when I come, I don't want to take up an offering. I'm making a need known to you. Let each one in lay aside something. Just lay aside something. Storing up as he may uh, prosper. As the Lord prospers you, lay aside something, okay? That there be no collections when I come. What are you saying? Lay aside something. Where? At the church? No. At home. When you're at home, purpose in your heart what you're going to give. And what that means is that you spend some time at home and say, hey, here's the thing. Here's what I see the need is, or here's what it is that I see that Paul has written to us. What do you think, honey? What do you think? You know, uh, or, or if you're single, hey, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Let's purpose as the Lord has prospered. This is, this is what we feel we can do. He says in uh, uh, verse 3, and when I come, and I have to read this verse to, to make even more sense of uh, verse 2. When I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to, to Jerusalem. There's three different ways that Paul talks about giving. There's a, 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 a giving of, of this right here. Well, let's, let's go back. There's a, there's a purpose of service. It's your service to give. I mean, there's a service to give. You have to give. You know, there's a service. There's a word that he uses. It's, it's your ministry. It's a, it's a ministry. It's a service to do. Uh, another is, is, a, is a, uh, uh, a, a, a love offering, if you will. What this gift is here is it's an extra gift. And the extra gift is a charis gift. It's a, it's a love gift. It's, it's a free gift. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift that says, I don't have to do it. I'm doing something over and above what it is that I'm doing. And here's the thing. I'm doing it just simply because I desire to minister. And that's where Paul's trying to knit together all of the churches there in Asia Minor, all the way down into Jerusalem. He's trying to knit them together by ministering one to another. He's saying this gift that you're going to give, it's, it's not, I'm not making you give it. It's something that you come up with. You pray, you pray to the Lord. You seek God's face. Find out what it is that the Lord would have you to give. Lay something aside as the Lord prospers you. But when I come, I don't want that to be... I'm not even going to talk about giving when I come. I'm not going to say, hey, now listen, I didn't get a whole lot. What kind of church are you? Come on. I know that you're much more wealthy than this, guys. Or, well, you know, they're really struggling down there and you really need to... I mean, I just don't know. I don't have... If you could only see their faces when I go down there and see them. And I, I give them... You know, just the small gift that you've given to me. Paul doesn't ever look at a gift like that. Paul looks at a gift like this and he's going, this is an honor and a privilege that we have as the body of Christ to come to the aid of others. He says, it's a gift that you're going to, I'm going to bear, or send it down. Don't, don't think it's for me. 
And that's what he makes, you know, light of here, or not light of, but makes it very known here in verse 3. He says, know this, this isn't about me. I'm not asking you to give money to me. This is to the church that's in Jerusalem. They're really, really, really struggling down there, gang. They're struggling down there. When I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I'll send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Let's say you are afraid that I'm getting this money for me. Send it down by somebody else. If that's your, if that's your, if that's your, your concern that I am trying to get money for me, send it down from who, to, you know, with whomever you approve to send down. But if it's fitting that I go also, hey, they can go with me. He's saying if you want to send it down on your own without me being there, that's great. But if, if you don't care, hey, they can go with us. Paul's saying this money isn't for me. I'm not asking you to give money to me. I'm, I'm showing you that the church has come, is, is coming together and is undergirding one another. When a portion of the body hurts, the rest of the body hurts. All of us understand that concept. Anybody who's ever stubbed your pinky toe knows that that concept is true. If you've ever stubbed your pinky toe, what happens to the rest of your body? It reacts, doesn't it? It reacts bad. It hurts. I, 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 I hit my pinky toe one time on a, on a brick mantle. Is that what you call it? A hearth? Whatever is on the ground in front of a fireplace? Like 11.30 at night, you know, 11, 11.30 at night, and I'm walking along, and I'm having to go to the restroom, and I'm kind of going quick, and I caught my pinky toe as I went by that brick, and the brick didn't move. My toe did, and, and it hit, and it went out that way. That hurt. Now, there's more to that story. My wife's looking down. My wife has just got a an interesting sense of humor at times like that. She started laughing because of the way that I responded. That was a that was hurt. My whole body went to go to that that area of hurt. That area of hurt. I was hurting. She's just remembering. She just she just laughed uncontrollably. Which, when your pinky toe gets hurt, it's just it was tough. It was a tough time. But but your whole body, when one portion of the body hurts, the rest of the body hurts with it, right? And though the word says that. When the two become one flesh, they should... I'm just joking. I'm going to let that go. <laughs> here's the thing. Paul's going, hey, here, here, here's, what I, well, here's what I'm trying to teach you guys here in Corinth. A part of the body of Christ, your brothers, your sisters, the ones that you're going to be spending an eternity with, down in Jerusalem, they're struggling. and they need help. They need help. Now, there are many different understandings or, or ideas of why the church in, in uh, Jerusalem was struggling. Um, you know, there was. There is a, a reference to a famine that was going on down there at the time. Um, I, I tend to, to lean towards a well-intentioned church in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4. 
that so desperately wanted to serve the Lord. They had seen Jesus rise up into heaven in the clouds. In Acts chapter 3, it says that, there, Acts chapter 2, it talks about how the church came together and they sold all that they had and gave unto the church and, and, and gave unto anyone who had need. Now, there is nothing wrong with giving to people who have need, but there is this, this Genesis church, man, the very first church in, in, in Jerusalem that begins. And they so desperately want to serve the Lord. And without seeking God's face, they just, I, I believe that they, you know, and I'm not dogmatic on this. This is not a dogmatic point. I heard many years ago that, you know, dogmatism is simply grown-up puppyism. And, and so I'm not dogmatic on this point. But it would seem to me that when people don't seek God's face before they launch off into something big, especially big choices in life, oftentimes those things end up hurting them down the road and what have you. And so... Uh, when, when I see that, that the children of Israel, that, that the church didn't seek God's face to find out, Lord, should I sell my house? Should I sell my company? Should I sell my fields and take that money and give it unto the church in order to give to people who are less fortunate than I am? Uh, it's a good heart. And there was, you know, plenteousness for a season. But Jesus didn't come back. Immediately, these these that started in Jerusalem, they saw Jesus go up into heaven. And he says, you know, the angel said, hey, the way you saw him go up into heaven, he's going to come back in like manner. But go and do what it is that he told you to do. Go and, 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 and go into the world and baptize them and preach the gospel. You know, preach the gospel and baptize the people. And, and, and the angels are getting them to go out on their own and, and get out of and, and, and minister to the people and share the gospel. Do what it is that Jesus said. Well, many of these people are thinking, wow, he might be coming back in a week, maybe two weeks, maybe a month. I don't know. I don't know how much time I have. But here's the thing. I know I don't have a whole lot of time left, so I'm going to sell everything that I have. I'm going to give it unto the church so the church can minister to people who they desperately need to, to be ministered to. And, and I am going to go and witness and I'm going to minister. I'm going to spend all my time doing that. Now, there's nothing wrong with ministering. But if you don't see God's face in that, there have been many people that have been taken in churches because they so desperately want to give everything unto the Lord, but they don't seek God's face before they do it. And, and some churches will just go, yes, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. And what happened is that there was many of these people that lost everything. And, and now Jesus didn't come back in a month or two months or even a year. And now these people are going, what are we going to do now? I mean, we've sold everything. And so Paul, I believe that's where Paul is going off to other churches and seeking financial aid to come back into Jerusalem to help those first believers off, first believers in the church out, to minister to them. They gave and sacrificed everything. Out of the goodness of their heart, they, they, they didn't seek the Lord maybe. And the church is, is having to come in and, and it would take a season in order to overcome that. And so I believe that that's why Paul was going into these churches and saying, hey, your brother's back in Jerusalem. The first church back there, 
they're hurting and they're, they're struggling and they're, they're starving. And on top of all of that, there's a famine in the land. And so they're in a bad way. And, and so that's the gift that I believe is going back to Jerusalem. Is it, does it make these guys wrong and bad in the first church? Absolutely not. Don't hear me say that they you know, are bad believers because they sold everything that they had. What it did is it showed really a true sacrificial heart on their part. And I believe that the Lord provided for them through men like Paul to send money back in there and minister to them. But I think that that was a one-time event kind of a situation. And Paul was constantly going out and trying to minister to the brothers and sisters who definitely showed an attitude of sacrifice and an attitude of of surrender. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. And God honored that. And I think God kept their, their feet above water. You know, in the midst of all of that. So this is the this is the purpose of this. And Paul says, so here's the thing. When I come, I don't want to have to talk about money. I don't want to talk about money as much as Don has talked about money here in January of 2017 when I come. I don't want to talk about money. I want to when I come to you, I want to minister to you. I want to speak to you the 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 things of the Lord. I want to encourage you. I don't want to talk about money for someone else. So here's the thing. Let's do that before I even get there so that we can be free to do what it is that God's called us to do when we do get there. So there's the first four verses. When I come to you, he says, uh, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. And I'm actually passing through Macedonia right now. But it may be that I'll remain or even spend the winter with you guys, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't wish to see you right now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. So you go, well, is that kind of rude that he's saying? Hey, I don't want to spend any time with you right now. No, he answers this question right here, verse 8. He says, I'm going to tarry in Ephesus right now, okay? Until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries here. And so in verse 8 and 9, what we see is that Paul sees where there is opposition, there is opportunity. He's, he's looking at the opportunity there in, in Ephesus. And if you want to kind of know kind of what's going on here, you can go into Acts chapter 19 and see where Paul is in Ephesus, where he's there and he's ministering to the people. And, and it's, it's, it is, uh, uh, coming under, he's coming under so much, uh, uh opposition. From the false church that's there. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. These guys that were making the gods, fashioning the gods out of stone and and, and wood to worship Diana, a false goddess. They said, Paul and those that have come, they're going through every region and they're preaching this Jesus and people are coming to know the Lord and it's cutting into our profit. Let alone they're, they're coming against Diana. And so we need to put a stop to this. All the shop owners got together and said, we got to put a stop to this. And so this is what Paul's saying. He's going, hey, i got to... I got a lot of opposition in Ephesus, but I've got a lot of opportunity too. People are coming to know the Lord. But there's a lot of people that are mad about people coming to know the Lord. How many of you 
Now, I don't need to see a show of hands, but how many of you know somebody, or maybe it was you, that when you came to know the Lord, some people in your family got ticked off? Some, maybe, maybe you're saved today, but there was a time in your life when somebody in your life got saved and you were upset with them. And you tried to, to discourage it. You, you thought, man, well, it's just a phase that they're going to go through. But the longer that they stayed with this, with this church and the longer they stayed with the Lord, the, the more you became angry and you became uh, resistant to that work that God was doing in their life. And you're going, this isn't a work of God. This is, you're getting a cult, man. Quit being a Bible thumper. The opposition rises up. And so here's the thing. Paul's saying, Paul's saying, listen, that's happening in Ephesus right now. It's happening in Ephesus right now. I'm preaching the gospel and people are getting saved, but the townspeople are getting mad because it's starting to cut into families and it's starting to break up families. It's starting to, to cause a lot of profit to be lost because people aren't buying the gods like they used to. And, and, and we just don't know what to do. And so they, they actually went to go and arrest Paul, but Paul wasn't there at the time. And so they got a couple of his buddies and they brought him out in the street and, and they start beating him and, and, and they, they say, listen, we're, what are you beating us for? We're not here. And as they just begin to speak of, of Jesus, as they started to speak of the Lord, all of the people, many of the people not even knowing why they're doing it, they just started screaming out in unison, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Great is Diana of the Ephesians! They don't even know what they're protesting about. It's much like what we see in the United States right now. A lot of people protesting, they don't even know what they're protesting about. Professional protesters. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. They're on both sides. And there's people that are paid to go out and protest. And these people are just joining into a group because, well, everybody else is saying it, so I'm going to say it. Well, for two whole hours, they screamed out at the top of their lungs. Finally, the county clerk goes, hey, guys, hey, stop, 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 stop. Everybody stop. Just slow down for just a second. Let's bring some reason here. These guys haven't even been, had charges brought against them. You can go back and read that yourself. But basically, the, the city clerk basically calmed the crowd down enough. But this is the opposition that Paul's talking about. He's going, man, I've got an opportunity here in, in Ephesus. And for me to come down there and visit with you and, and help you grow in the church, though that is desirable to me, I have an open door here in Ephesus and I can't leave it right now. Even though there's great opposition. So pray for us. That's what his heart is. For a great and effective door has opened to me, he says there in verse 9, and there are many adversaries. Now, he says, if Timothy comes to you, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. And so Timothy, what Paul's saying is that Timothy, who's a younger pastor... He's the young pastor. I used to be a young pastor. You're going to have to use your imagination now on that. When I was the young pastor, the church that, that I would be a part of would come alongside and, and they'd help me. 
Some people really tried to help me. Some people really had ulterior motives. Yeah, oftentimes when you see a, a young pastor of a small church, oftentimes what you'll see there is that you'll see one or two or three strong families within that church that basically dictates what that church is going to do. And if that church doesn't do what these strong families want, that, that guy, that young pastor is going to be gone. And, and such is the case with a lot of young pastors. They don't get a respect. Oh, I'm older than you. Chuck Swindoll. I, any of you guys ever heard of a fellow by the name of Chuck Swindoll? A lot of you guys have. The guy's been in the ministry forever. He's been alive forever, I think. He talks about a time when he was a young pastor. And as he went to this church that was governed by one of these strong families, everybody thought that this guy that was a part of the church, it was the, the leader of the families was a good guy. But Chuck said, in the middle of the work day, work week, I was working at the church, nobody else around. He comes in and he sits down in my office. These are Chuck Swindoll's words, not mine. And he sits down and out of his coat, he puts a gun on Chuck Swindoll's desk. And he says, Chuck, I just want to tell you something. I carry that gun with me everywhere I go. And it's always loaded. I just thought I'd let you know that. And, and also, to let you know, don't ever cross me. Chuck said, I was scared to death. I was scared to death. That was a threat. This guy was threatening my life. That I'm going to do what he wants to do or he'll shoot me. He'll kill me. This, oftentimes, I'm not saying that somebody's going to come to me with a gun or to come to a young guy with a gun, but there's a lot of times that stronger families or stronger people in the church will go in and try to dictate when I came to, to Sarasota, there was a couple strong families that said, hey, let, we want to take you away on this vacation with us. I didn't have the money to go on that vacation. They were going to take me away on a vacation. They wanted to give money. They wanted to give all this stuff. And, I, and, and I'd been counseled, don't allow these strong families to take over. And they brought me over to their house for right before Christmas. And they said, oh, it's just the guys that are going to go. My wife will remember this. And, and I said, you know, I am honored that you guys would give me. Such, I mean, this is, this is amazing. All expenses trip. It was a ski package. Uh, it was worth several thousand dollars. And I, I said, but I can't go. I can't go. Why? Because I can't, I can't do that. I, I, I can't do that. My my heart was then as my heart is today. I never. And you're going to get a letter here. Those of you who've given to the church this year, by a check or or by an envelope where you put your name on that envelope, 
You're going to get a, a letter from me. You're going to, uh, you know, Dan is going to be sending you out all, all you know, your, your year-end tithe report. What it is that you've given so that you can, you know, use it for your tax purposes and what have you. But as you'll see in my letter, I never, I, I always say in my letters, know this, I don't know what a single person in this church has ever given in my life. I don't want to know what you give. I don't want to know what a person in this church gives. I don't want to, I don't want to know. I don't want to know that somebody who's wealthy is giving a lot or a little. I don't want to treat anybody differently. And see, if I don't know what anybody's giving, it frees me up to minister to everybody equally. To the person who doesn't give a dime, I don't know. And you know what? Oftentimes, the person who you don't think gives a lot, what I understand in other churches, is the one who gives the most. And that's just God's economy. Jesus talks about the, 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 the widow who gave all that she had. And he said, she gave everything she had. All these others that are out there giving more money, they gave out of their sustenance, but she gave everything she had. Who did Jesus honor more? He honored her. I don't want to know what anybody gives. I don't want to be, you know, uh, you know, to have that pressure on me. I'm a sinner, man. I'm a weak man. I don't want to allow my affections or my, you know, emotions to be changed on anyone because of what I think somebody gives. So I don't do it. I don't do it. I've never done it. Won't ever do it. I told them there when they offered that ski trip, I said, I can't go. Why? Because if I go on a ski trip with you, I'm going to be buddying up with you three, the most wealthy people in our church. What do you think that's going to do to the people who can't afford to take me on a ski trip? What do you think it's going to do to those that, that are in our fellowship that can't afford that kind of stuff? What do you think it's saying to them? Oh, he's rubbing elbow with the wealthy, but with us, he gives us just a little bit of time. Whether or not that's true or not, that's the perception. And I don't want that kind of a perception. So thank you, but no thank you. I can't take it. They got mad. Oh well, none of them are here anymore, but that's okay. Paul, Paul's saying, Timothy is coming. He's young. And you know what? He's a little gun shy because of his youth. When he comes, see that he may be with you, with you without fear. What he's doing is Paul's kind of lobbing a missile over their bow of their ship saying, listen, I know that Timothy's coming and he's a young pastor. Don't mess with him. Come on. He's a young guy. Don't try to influence him in the way that you want it to be him to be influenced. He does the work of the Lord as I do. He's coupling Timothy. He's equating Timothy with himself. He's saying, Timothy is just like me. He loves the Lord. He's doing the Lord's work. Don't try to influence him or manipulate him in any way. Don't do that. And don't try to freak him out and, and intimidate him to do what it is that you want him to do. And don't let any one of you guys despise him because of his youth. But send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me. For I'm waiting for him with the brethren there in Ephesus. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come with you, with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. 
However, he will come when he has a convenient time. So, so Paul is saying both he and Apollos are not willing to go there right now. Paul's saying, though I want to spend some time with you, I have some things that I'm doing in Ephesus that I can't lay aside just simply to spend some time with you. But when I come, I'm, I'm hoping to spend the whole winter with you guys, which will be awesome. Paulos, he's doing a work, you know, he doesn't say what he's doing, but right now is not a good time for him to come either. But he'll come when he has a more convenient time to minister to you guys. Just know this, we're sending good pastors in to you. We're sending good men in to give you good food. They're ministering to you. Listen to what they have to say. And that's what, kind of what his culmination here is in verse 13. He says, so watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. And be strong. Because I or Timothy or uh, uh, Apollos or he's going to name off Stephanus here in just a second and Fortunatus and Achaicus. These guys are leaders and they're ministers. Listen to them. These guys are coming in and they're ministering to you. Listen to them. Grow. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. And let everything that you do be done with love. You remember as we were back in chapter 12 and 13 and 14, we talked about all the gifts of the Spirit. But all the gifts of the Spirit are nothing, Paul says, without love. Right? So, so everything you do, let it all be done from the platform, from the foundation of love. Because anything done, apart from love, uh, launching out from any other platform other than love, is simply just works. It's wood, hay, and stubble, man. It's, not going, it's, it's just going to vanish away. Let everything you do, let everything I do, gang, church, this isn't just for the Corinthian church, it's for us. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. And let everything that you do be done from the platform of love. Because if it's not, you're not being Christ to the people around you. You're not fulfilling the great calling that God has called upon your life as a Christian. It's going to get scary out there. It's going to get tough. People are going to oppose you because they think that you're an idiot for being a Christian. Be brave. Watch out. Don't get lured into debates that they're not a real debate. They're there to try to tear you down and to try to make you look foolish and try to make you look bad. I was reading an article just the other day of just yesterday of, of uh, what's this uh, couple that are Christians that uh, rebuild houses that's them that's them where they said you know some people started uh, saying hey they went to a church a few years ago and the pastor talked about homosexuality because they were attending. That's what they believed. What do you guys have to say? And he, and, and he wrote a letter out to everyone and said, listen, don't try to bait us and put us into a debate that has nothing to do with anything. Know this. We care for people. We love people. We love people. We're not here to, 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 to you know, be baited into things. 
Paul's saying, hey, be, be, be careful. Don't get baited into things. Don't get baited into arguments that are unwinnable. Don't talk about things that are, you're not going to win. You get into a major argument with somebody over the faith. Do you think that you're ever going to win that argument? I've been in too many of those arguments. And you know what? I've never been in an argument with somebody talking about the Lord that at the end of the argument, the person goes, I totally see it your way now. I want to accept Jesus. <laughs> it's never happened. It just doesn't happen. So don't, don't get in angry battles with people. Love. Love. Minister. Love. Be Christ. Be Christ to people. I urge you, brother, in verse 15. I've got to finish. You know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. And, and, and so basically what he's saying is the first people who came to know the Lord there in Corinth is, is Stephanus. We all know that. We had a church in his house. That's what he's talking about. You know that the household of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia. And that they devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They got so saved, they wanted to just serve Jesus. You all know that. You also submit to those guys too. And to everyone who works and labors with us. I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. For what was lacking on your part they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge these guys. These guys are serving you. They're out there ministering to you. Whether it be in this church or whether it be in another church. Acknowledge the men and the women that are being that are ministering to you, that, are, that are, are, are pouring into you the depths and the golden nuggets of the Scripture, man. People who have devoted their lives to, to, to uh, uh, the Lord and said, listen, anything and everything that I am, I want to give to you. One of the things that, that, that I struggle with and had struggled with my whole existence in teaching is teaching too long. And one of the reasons, and I, I it, listen, is it an excuse? I don't know what you want to call it. I'm just going to let you know my heart. I get you one day a week, and I want to give you everything that I have. I, want to, I don't want to ever leave anything unsaid when I speak to you. I don't know if this is the last time I'm ever going to get the opportunity to pour into you. And so sometimes I take a little bit extra time. I hope you, you don't look down on me for that. My intention is to give you everything that I know or everything that I have. I want you to, if I could take my brain out, if I could take my heart out and put it in yours so that you could it just download. Maybe we're going to come up with that one day where you can throw a USB in the brain or something like that and pull it out and stick it in someone else. But until that happens, you might have to endure an extra 15, 20 minutes. Because my heart is, is that I want to give you everything that I have. I want to give you Jesus, man. I want you, when you walk out of here, to know that Jesus is bananas for you and that he has a life for you and that he has an eternity for you. And not only for you, but for everyone and anyone that you and I run into on a day-by-day basis. Our job is to go and tell the world about Christ. Our job is to mature in the Lord. Our job is to fall in love with Jesus more every day and to go out and live that life outside of the four walls of this place that we come in and get spoon-fed for an hour and a half. 
or an hour and 45 minutes. Whatever the time is. I want to give you everything I have so that you can be prepared to go out there and, and at least I've done my part. Not that I go, well, I'm finally free. But there comes a point. Paul says, listen, I washed my hands. I did not shun to declare to you the full gospel. And one day I know I'm going to have to stand before the Lord. And I'm going to have to ask, I'm going to have to answer that Lord, that question also. I'm going to have to stand before the Lord and say, I didn't shun to declare to them the full gospel. And the, the heart is, for me, for you, for us, is not to leave anything on the table when our time's up. And, and, and Paul says, listen, when these guys come in there, acknowledge them, man. Minister to them. If only just listen to what they have to say and take heart to what they have to say. If you don't agree with it, take it home. Chew on it and ask the Lord, is it real? Is it right? Is, it, is what he said accurate? Look in the word. And if it is, receive it from that person as from the Lord. As the Lord want to do something in your heart and change you and fashion you and form you into the man or the woman that he wants you to be. The church of, of Asia, they greet you. Aquila and Priscilla, they greet you heartily in the Lord. With the church that is in their house, all the brethren greet you. Greet with one another with a holy kiss. Now, that kiss should be on the side of the, the cheek, okay? Or, or not at all. I don't know. Uh, you know, this is, you know, I don't know if you've ever had uh, uh, somebody give you a kiss on the lips Considering it a holy kiss, uh, uh, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, don't do that. My wife and I had a uh, had a, a couple that lived down the the street from us that went to our church over in Fort Lauderdale with us, and and they greeted us one day, and his wife greeted me with a holy kiss. And I didn't consider it holy. And I'm, I don't ever want to be within arm's distance of her again. That's very uncomfortable. Don't do that. Oh, that's just me. Well, that's not me. That's not me. I don't do that. Enough. The salutation with my own hand. Obviously, Paul, he's not writing the whole of the letter, what it is that he has somebody that's writing oftentimes most 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 believe that Paul doesn't write the letters that he dictates these letters and that at the very end of the letter as he says the salutation is with my own hand this is Paul mind you it might not be my handwriting but it is me right now you see my handwriting this is signed by me this would be Paul you know on a on a computer you know typing it out you type it out it's not your handwriting it's just typewritten font but at the very end he signs his name that's basically what he's saying here in this letter this is my hand these are my thoughts this is my heart towards you if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ let him be accursed that word means anathema that word in Greek is anathema that means uh, that means cursed or damned to the lowest of hells Paul's heart is, 
How can you not love Jesus Christ? How can you not love someone who gave himself for you? I don't, to him, it was inconceivable. Inconceivable. That only, that touched some of you. It was inconceivable that, that, that anybody would not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine somebody saving your life? So you're in a bank, you know, bank robbery going on. Guy has a shotgun over your head. And because you've, you've said something, you've, you've done something to try to, to try to calm the situation down and to try to save people alive, this guy has pointed his, his shotgun at you. And, and he's, he's going, you know what? You're the kind of a person that needs to die because you're going to rally these people around and, and make trouble. So you're, you're a dead man right now. But somebody comes to your aid. Maybe somebody has a, a, a hidden gun and they get up and they shoot this guy or what? I don't mean to be so graphic and, and ugly and bloody. <laughs> but he saves your life somehow. You're about to die. But somebody saves your life. It would be inconceivable to go, eh, all right, eh. That's a guy that you're going to be going, you saved my life. Thank you. You have a place to go for Thanksgiving? You always have an open seat at my place. You don't have a family you spend Christmas with? You have a place at my house. You always have a friend. You always have somebody in your corner, man. Thank you. You saved my life. I owe my life to you. You don't look upon that and just go, ah. And Paul goes, that just doesn't make sense to me. He graphically died on a cross. He was beaten for you. He, he endured hours upon hours upon hours of torture simply to give you life. And for you to turn your back on that, that doesn't make sense to me. Let that person who doesn't recognize that be anathema. And then he finishes off. He says, oh Lord, come. That word right there is Maranatha. Maranatha. Oh Lord, come. Paul lived with an expectancy that Jesus could return at any moment. There are those theologians out there who say that the rapture of the church, Jesus coming back to take his church home, is a relatively new theology. That's not what Paul's saying right here. Paul's saying, Lord, come. Paul's living with the anticipation that Jesus and the expectation that Jesus could come right then on that day. So the theologians that are out there saying, oh, this is a relatively new thought in the church trying to pressure people into living their lives for Christ, I say that those are workers of the enemy, trying to sear the consciences and the nerve endings of the church to make us believe that we have more time than what we think we have. The heart is, live your life for Christ today as if you were to be coming back today. What would you know? What would we do different? Ask yourself the question, what would you do differently today if you knew that at 6 o'clock tonight Jesus was coming back? How would we live our lives? If we lived our lives that way, this world would be turned upside down.
gang, let's live a little bit of our lives that way. My encouragement, my, my exhortation to you is let's live it full on that way. Knowing full well that most of us aren't going to take that. But if you take just a little bit of that, let's touch one person's life this week. Okay? One person's life. One person's life this week. You do what Christ has called you to do. That's all I'm asking. One person. Because one person's going to turn into two people, and two people are going to turn into three and four and so on and so forth. You do your you you live your call. You watch. You stand fast in the faith. You be brave. You be strong. And you do it with love. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. Paul had a heart for the church, and he's laying his his uh, character out before them right here, saying, listen, I'm not about money. I'm not about power. I'm about Jesus. I'm about Christ. I'm about service. I'm about showing people what Jesus looks like with skin on him. And, and therein lies yours and my job. Let's go and live for Jesus this week, gang, hey? Let's go out there and, and, and affect our world because you know what? He placed you on this, pl- on this planet. He placed you in this time and in this season for a reason. He didn't pick anybody out. He picked you. Don't ever go, well, I wish I could be someone else. No, he picked you. He designed you. He saved you. He's given you a call. He has you in the exact spot that he wants you to be in. Now, recognize that. Take the call. Accept the call. Ask him for power to get through it. Ask him for for wisdom and discernment on how to live your life. And then do it. The last words that King David said to Solomon. He said, Solomon, the Lord has chosen you to build a house. Be strong and do it. Those are his words, not Nike's. Those are David's words. Be strong and do it. God has a plan for you. God has you here for a reason. Be strong and do it. Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you for the reminder that you have so individually ministered and called us. Yes, we know that you say that you so love the world. You gave yourself for the world. You gave yourself for all who would call upon your name. Sometimes we we sterilize that those statements by thinking of it globally and going well it's it's yeah it's for everyone it's just for everyone and and oftentimes we struggle with trying to personal with personalizing some of those things god you so loved me You so loved every single person in this room individually, by name, that you gave your only begotten Son to die on a cross. That if that individual, that if I would believe in you, 
I would not perish. We would not perish. But that we would inherit eternal life offered and given by you as a free Karis gift. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this week we can walk out of here knowing that, Lord, you've called us. You will empower us. You will never call us to do something that you will not also empower us to do and equip us to do. And so, Lord, as we leave this place today, may we walk out of here with a spring in our step, a sparkle in our eye, because, Lord, we are saved and we have an eternal home that one day we are going to go to. Could be today, might be today. Why not today? May we live our life with that expectancy. Oh, Lord, come. Bring someone in our path this day, this week. Help me, help us to take this challenge to touch one life this week, just one, for you and for your purposes. I pray, God, your Holy Spirit would anoint every single person in this room. You would empower every person in this room to go out there and be a light in this dark world, that they would see Jesus in us. We're small, but so were you, Jesus. With 12 disciples, you turn the world upside down. What can we do? We have more than that in this room. What can you do? Use us, Lord, for your glory, for your purposes. And then, Lord, help us to get jacked on that, Lord, recognizing that, God, you can use me. I saw how you did that in that person's life last week by using me. I want to do it again this week. And then, Lord, energize us. Lord, empower us by your Spirit to do it again and again and again and again. Lord, use us. Use us. Burn us up. Burn us out for you. Let us shine the brightest before you take us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.